Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Every week we join you to discuss the wonderful Word of God that we've received through the gift of the church. And each week I invite uh, friends to join me to share their favorite verses, to talk about both the meaning of the verses, but their uh, significance for our walk with Jesus Christ. We're coming to you on EWTN Radio from the Coming Home Network International Studios, Studios in Ohio. Our guest this week is Father Anthony Giambroni. He's a Dominican priest. He's been uh, visiting with our Dominican parish here locally in Zanesville, Ohio. He's getting ready to leave us. We wanted to make sure we had a chance to have him join us on the program. I asked Father to choose a verse for our program, and he chose James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And uh, I love the book of James. What's fascinating when you take the time over a long period of time to study the New Testament books, you start to notice that there are personalities uh, that are different between the, the authors of the New Testament books. St. Paul has a different personality than Peter, who has a different personality than Jude, who has a different personality than James. And they're also writing to different audiences. In every case, they're writing to believers. They're writing to Christians. So in none of these documents are they trying to convert anyone. They're trying to encourage Christians to live out their faith. But what we find is that often the audience to which they're writing has different needs. So you'll find different emphasis. St. Paul, for example, seems to be writing to often to people who come from a background where they, they guided their life by a following of the law, almost to the extent that as they became Christians, then they saw the need, the struggle was to what extent they continued to obey the, the works of the law in relationship to their salvation. They're being justified or being made a member of the community. And so Paul would often emphasize the need for faith saved by grace, almost to the extent that it seems like to Paul works aren't important. And again, I think that was because of the community to which he was writing. In James, we see a little different side of this. It's almost as if James is writing to a community that was the other extreme, that emphasized their faith, but didn't often t uh, emphasize the need for living that faith out. And so we have in James the, that very famous section in which he emphasized that we are not saved by faith alone. We are not saved by faith apart from works. Faith apart from works is dead. But that's a different passage. The passage we're looking at this evening comes earlier in the book, and it comes in a section in the beginning of James, in which he is emphasizing that in our walk, as we follow Jesus Christ, that does not mean that our lives will be free of trial, be free of temptation. And so that is a part of our walk with Christ. And so in his passages, he deals with how to handle the trials and the temptations that come our way, um, and to be careful of the trials and temptations that we bring on ourselves because of our own selfishness, our own pride, or the sin that wells up from within us. And particularly, he'll talk about the sin that comes as a result of our tongue, and that tongue being such a difficult instrument to control. He talks about that. But in the midst of that, he makes this statement, which Father Anthony wants us to look at tonight, and that is in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Now, before I read that, before our first break, I want to remind you, that there's a website, deepinscripture.com, that you can check out and find out lots of links 
about the Coming Home Network International. You can also find the archives of all the old Deep in Scripture programs. You'll see a bio of of uh, Father Anthony. He was a um, born in Dayton, Ohio, graduated from Franciscan University of Steubenville, and then he entered the seminary of Arch- the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And in the process, he discerned a call to, to the Dominicans, and uh, he has completed two degrees in sacred tr- sacred scripture. So he comes to our program with a, lo- a large background in scripture. In fact, he is getting ready very quickly to leave us here in Zanesville to go to the Ecole Biblique in Jerusalem, a scripture school run by the French Dominicans. So let me read this passage. We'll take a break, and then Father Anthony will join us. This is James writing, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will be brought, will he, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Oh, excuse me, let me read it. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. WTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 7th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year we will begin On the Rock, looking to understand the question of authority, the pillar and bulwark of truth. Join us the weekend of October 23rd as we bring together another exciting list of speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I'm joined by uh, Father Anthony Giambroni. Father, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, before we jump into the text, talk a little bit about, to the audience about your work as a Dominican and also what you're just about getting ready to do here as you leave us in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm freshly minted. I was just ordained on May 29th here, so <laughs> uh, they sent me out happily to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas here, and I've been helping out at the parish, giving a series of lectures. I, was, I inherited the title. I showed up on, on Thursday, and they told me, look at the church door because you're giving a series of lectures. And the, the title was The Bible, Whose Is It Anyway?, uh, which made me scream a little bit. But uh, So I've talked uh, in that series about different competing claims that uh, different groups make on the scriptures. You have secular critics who, uh, who claim the scriptures as their own and they have the key to it. And we talked about uh, the Jewish way of reading the scriptures, the Protestant way, and then the the Catholic way of reading the scriptures. So it's it's been fun. I've had had a good time. But um, yeah, as you as you mentioned, I'm heading off here at the end of the week to uh, study to prepare for a, a degree at the Ecole Biblique. Uh, this will be an SSL degree. It's a pontifical degree right. to to teach scripture. So I'll 
probably ultimately end up teaching at, at our seminary in Washington or hmm. or elsewhere. New Testament. Gospel of Matthew is kind of what I've focused oh, on. Oh, Matthew, I was wondering yeah. which, which your, yeah. your emphasis was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, wrote on Matthew 23, which is a kind of dismal uh, passage in many people, but the, the final of the seven woes against the scribes and Pharisees. But there's actually a lot there. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what's amazing about Scripture. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, no matter what verse you take, yeah. it, it, by looking, especially at the original languages, or the culture of surrounding yeah. the verse itself and the author, and the uh, and in a sense, that's, on the one hand, the beauty of Scripture study, but mm-hmm. I would say also the danger of, of kind of a solo scriptura approach because mm-hmm. you may not have a correct understanding of all that background. Yeah, well, it's very easy to get lost. I mean, you can go go down infinitely at uh, at any spot you choose, but yeah, it's easy to lose your bearings, too. Oh, I was just thinking as I closed that last session just a moment ago, and I misread verse 18. I mean, in there itself, you know, if of his own will he brought, it's like, well, it doesn't work. There's something wrong there <laughs> until you finally understand it. You almost have to understand it first so you read it correctly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember once hearing uh, and this is this really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my homiletics professor told me a story of when he was driving uh, through the South, and he was listening on the radio to a Bible preacher, mm-hmm. and he had to pull the car over to the side because he was laughing because he heard the Bible preacher, who was reading I think from Matthew, in which uh, Jesus warns his disciples to not be concerned with the leaven of the Pharisees. And his interpretation was that the reason was because there were 12 of them. (laughs) Right. And so, I mean, there's an example of someone not understanding the word, the culture, the the context, and then ending up with a completely radically absurd interpretation. That's right. Yeah, well, that's something you see, especially um, in the Old Testament, which, of course, is written in Hebrew, and uh, it's not originally pointed. Uh, so you don't actually have the full words, which means that uh, we didn't even know what those words said, except for the tradition that bore the scriptures to us from generation to generation. Only later do we learn. So you can look at, at um, passages in the Old Testament and read it multiple ways. You can fill in the vowels in different ways with different interpretations. So the, the community's interpretation came first, in a sense, uh, and that's what allowed uh, allowed us to eventually kind of finalize the texts uh, as it is. But it's it's grammatically present even at that level. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. Did we, therefore, in terms of scriptural historical study, was the Septuagint then critical to our understanding of the Hebrew? That's right. That's right. That kind of fills in and, and confirms certain places which uh, can move in one direction or another. Uh, based on that, and and that too is something that uh, was received by by the whole. Uh, well, uh, it's a complicated history, but but received by the Jewish people as uh, right. an authentic, uh, inspired uh, translation of the of the Jewish scripture. Um, just a little backstory. We won't go into this on this program, but the Septuagint was the Greek translation that was put together. I think what five hundred years before Christ. I think. A, it's yeah. It's it's more um, two fifty, but it yeah. uh, it spans over a little bit of time. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, the, the, the one of the biggest points of the Septuagint is that it's quite sure that the New Testament 
authors mm-hmm. were reading from the Septuagint That's right. because all of their quotes from the Old Testament match the Septuagint, the That's Greek right. rather than Hebrew. And the p- important point of that for canon purposes mm. is that the Septuagint had the entire Old right. Testament canon that's, that's right. uh, equal to the Catholic canon right. as opposed to the Hebrew canon, which was the uh, canon that the uh, eventually the Reformers adapt, that's right. adopted. That's with. right. All right. Well, all that background stuff, Father. <laughs> Why did you choose uh, for James chapter 1, 16 and 18 for us tonight? Well, I've always, always been uh, sort of captivated by this passage. And I remember uh, years ago as a little boy coming across a prayer by St. Bonaventure in which he speaks of the Father of Lights. And that title for the Lord, which doesn't appear anywhere else in the scriptures, always always caught my attention. I thought it was uh, compelling in its own special way. So that, uh, that has always held my attention. And then uh, as I was coming into the Dominicans, uh, this became more and more important. Uh, the end here of verse 18, of his own will, he <laughs> this is where we, we stumbled, of his own <laughs> will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Um, and this notion that uh, we're brought to a new birth by the word of truth, veritas is, is one of several moder- mottos of the order, but that became an important theme for me uh, in my own uh, conversion into religious life and so forth, um, is abiding in the truth, abiding by the truth of God, of who we are and who God is. So those, those two uh, aspects of this passage in particular uh, have kind of drawn me. All right, excellent. Now, I gave a little summary in the beginning of the context. Do you want to add mm-hmm. to that, or did, did that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, that was, that's good. James uh, James is a very interesting letter, and it, um, it moves around a bit. Uh, one of the characteristics of the letter, though, is that it's a kind of wisdom literature. It, it draws a lot uh, on the style and the themes that appear in the wisdom books in the Old Testament. Some of those books in the Deuterocanonicals, in the Septuagint there, uh, Sirach, uh, Wisdom, uh, a lot of the same style, which can appear a, a little jumpy. So it sometimes appears when we're reading the letter of James that he's kind of moving from mm-hmm. from one thing to another without uh, a lot of forewarning. And and he is actually in some yep. facts that's part of part of the style. But there is uh, there is a kind of uh, intelligible <laughs> reasoning behind what he's doing here. And the passage we have is. Uh, within the context of this uh, larger section, which he begins the letter with, which you alluded to, is the problem of temptations and trials, uh, which seems to be the broad horizon in which he wants to situate his audience, that um, they seem to be uh, suffering some sort of trials. He, the, the letter is authored to the 12 tribes of the diaspora in the, in the dispersion. Um, so we can imagine uh, the... Uh, Jewish Christians uh, in hostile territories uh, in a kind of exile setting and uh, their faith being put to the test uh, from a variety of different factors and we get some of them as, as the letter goes on but that's that's the fundamental uh, point that he's addressing is the difficulty the challenge uh, the trial of living the faith uh, and the testing of the faith, which he comes back to time and again. So that, too, I I have kind of found to be a compelling context because in a lot of ways uh, this kind of diaspora existence uh, resonates with our own Christian existence today when we don't precisely live in a culture that uh, surrounds us with uh, a great deal of support for our faith and uh, were put to the test in lots of different ways. So that's that's the context, and 
So he goes through and speaks about the uh, the origin of these temptations, and that's what what brings us to the passage we have here. All right, the the um, beginning of the section you chose. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's a bit frustrating when you read New Testament letters because you feel like you have one half of a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, is he responding to a report that he heard, like like Paul was in First Corinthians, or, or was there an actual letter? Uh, sometimes I think, for example, in First John, the reason First John seems to jump around is that he may actually be responding to enumerated, like Paul did in First Corinthians. Right. So, but do not be deceived, my brethren. What's going on behind? What's the deception that he's warning them? about right well uh just just prior to this he's speaking about uh those who get uh tossed into the midst of these trials and he says let no one say uh, when he is tempted i am tempted by god so this is kind of the false proposition that we're lured into affirming or assenting or uh, even reviling god with in these moments of particular difficulty when we're uh, faced with the challenge um, to to uh, stand steadfast in our faith or to lose our faith. So let no one say that I am tempted by God. Don't be deceived in that way. The source of our trials isn't, in fact, God. Uh, so that, that, I think, is the, the error he... Yeah, he makes that statement in verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right. Right, and that's that's very important. Uh, and the language here, uh, especially in the Greek, is very rich. And this is one of the places where it kind of uh, evokes the mood of some of those passages in the wisdom literature, where you have Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly uh, who go out, and Lady Folly is a seductress, and she lures lures people off the right path. The, the classic scriptural image is the two paths. This is something that that appears throughout from. Uh, the Old Testament through the New, we see it in the Didache. It was a very pronounced idea for the early Christians. But Lady Folly stands there and uh, seduces people, and this is this is precisely what we have: is he's lured, he's enticed by his own lust, is really the word there, uh, his desires, and then his lusts conceive the the whole language of of him going into this uh, this woman of the night, and he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Uh, that there's one road that leads to death, and then there's the road of wisdom, uh, the road of light. Uh, and so uh, this the same challenge, this challenge uh, to stand up for our faith is in very in many ways the challenge between the two paths, the path uh, of light and the path of darkness. Okay, let's take another break. When we come back, we'll look right into verse 17. Every good endowment, every perfect gift is from above. <laughs> You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined by Father Antti Giambroni, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grode's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com 
or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined by Father Anthony Giambroni. We were just discussing during the break... Uh, uh, a question which I, I'm not sure we should do on the air, but it's really this, I'm excited to hear, as he mentioned, that at the seminaries where he's been studying and is going to study, that a lot of the, uh, uh, what were very popular, critical attacks on Scripture that for a time were just presumed to be the uh, the given mm-hmm. that are passing by. Is that, would you say that? Yeah, I think so. The kind of... Uh, uh, mid-century orthodoxy, which was anti-orthodox, uh, yeah. the, the historical critical orthodoxy, has broken up in a lot of ways, uh, which is is hopeful for a kind of faith-based exegesis of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's it's a bit of a battle, as th- this talk I gave, whose scripture is it anyway? A lot of people are making claims, so you have a lot of different methodologies kind of uh, coming forward and saying we have the right way. Or what is the real danger right now is a kind of most postmodern position that there is no real way to interpret the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've got their relativism. Right, so that's that's invaded invaded the interpretation of the scriptures too. So uh, the dictatorship of relativism must fall. Well, in my position is coming from my own background as, you know, I went to seminary as a Protestant, was trained and ordained as a Protestant, served as a Protestant for about 10 years, Protestant pastor, is that now I look back and I see that that, that final postmodern conclusion, in my view, is the trajectory of what happens when you jettison trust in the authority of the church, the trustworthiness of tradition. Mm-hmm. You want to have a Bible alone but then you're really on shaky ground mm-hmm. be- because now you're studying this book apart from its context in which it was given through the church. That's right. And that's what you end up with. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, when you jettison that authority, then you aren't anchored in anything. And so it does become this kind of agnostic chaos. Uh, and no one's quite sure uh, what it means because no one is there with the authority to say. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a, especially in a country where we emphasize as one of the greatest virtues the ultimate virtue in our country is hyper tolerance mm-hmm. you know you got to, everybody's got to get along well in the end then no one has a right to an opinion mm-hmm. other than they can hold for themselves right but they can't impose that opinion on anyone else well that's in scripture study now so there we right. are that's right and uh, the devil laughs mm-hmm. because then we really don't know. And in a sense, back to verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Right. I mean, that's right. almost what you need to have in the back of your mind when you're in some of these courses. Yeah, yeah. I remember back in the 60s when all this hypercritical uh, conclusions on Scripture were actually published in a large article in Life magazine. Mm-hmm. The whole issue was about this. Mm-hmm. And it was presented as if this is the way it is. Yeah. And my father, who was an avid reader, read that. And to the end of his life, that had affected hmm. his trust of the Bible. Yeah, uh, and it, it does hurt people. Some of that criticism shouldn't be allowed outside of the yeah. room where theologians want to argue. It shouldn't yeah. be let go to the public. Yeah. Well, it's presented as uh, having a kind of solidity and certainty that it just doesn't possess as well. It presents itself as authoritative when it doesn't have the divine authorities that the scriptures are based in. 
Well, I know the Dominicans in your history was committed, always been committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God and using the Word as you did in the beginning to fight the heretics mm-hmm. at the time who were themselves interpreting the Bible for themselves mm-hmm. uh, and turning from the church. And so um, that's a part of your charism. Verse 17, Father, let me read that then have you talk about the, the full significance of this for our lives. Uh, James wrote, every good endowment, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this this title here, the Father of lights, as I said, is, is unique. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the scriptures. Uh, it seems that it probably uh, refers to the, this author of creation, the Father of the heavenly lights, uh, the um, uh, the greater light to rule the day. But his first act of creation, uh, the first child of creation that he begets is this light. Um, but it it's an image, it's a beautiful image for God. Uh, John, the first letter of John says, in God, God is light and in him there is no darkness. This is, in fact, this is the first line uh, John gives us to summarize uh, what Christ had come to reveal. This is what he came to tell us. Uh, God is light. Uh, it's a beautiful, compelling uh, analogy to what the Lord must be. Uh, Pope Benedict, in, in one of his books, speaks about light as being the supereminent principle of uh, material reality and gives us a way of thinking about God. He uses it to talk about the Trinity. He talks about how we modern physics tells us we can't know whether light is, uh, is a particle or a wave, we can't capture it in a concept, master it in a concept. In the same way, we can't master God. Is, is he uh, one? Is he three? We can't master God uh, with our minds. We just bow and adore before him. Uh, this, this image uh, of God dwelling in unapproachable light kind of brings that to us. But uh, unapproachable, this transcendence, this beauty of God uh, dwelling in the splendor of the heavens above the dome, of course, which is kind of the image here, uh, which evokes these traditional interpretations like we see in Pseudo-Dionysius um, of God and the celestial hierarchy who pours out his gifts through the stars, which are the angels, and they pour their gifts down through the hierarchy of the church mm. uh, to all of us uh, here below who participate in that, this cascade of light. Uh, but there, God resting above the dome, above the lights, uh, there's no variation or shadow due to change. Um, this this goes back to this um, the translation here in, in seventeen might be a little more comprehensible or the the train of logic of thought might be a little more comprehensible if we said only good endowments and perfect gifts come from above that's the response to this this notion that God would uh, work in some way contrary uh, to our own good to our own mm-hmm. flourishing and happiness it's rather God only gives good things. God only pours out these good things upon us, uh, and this is why the the will of God the uh, the will of God is for the salvation uh, of all of His creatures. God did not create death, nor does He rejoice in the destruction of the living. Uh, so to uh, blame God or to even conceive that God uh, could be operating for something other than our own good for our ill uh, is contrary to who God is, to what He is. The concept of light when we think back today you know today we're so used to uh, scientific explanations for everything we feel like we have a handle on everything although mm-hmm. 
we're not 100% sure whether light is particles or yeah. or, or photons and, and waves yet. But still, um, we feel like we've got a handle on it. In James' day, light was a mystery, mm-hmm. as was wind. Mm-hmm. And so we see wind as as this image of the spirit, the mystery of the of the wind moving and, and something when you don't see anything, but yet it's making something move. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that same mystery in light. And, and to me, that was one of the reasons why they use this image so much, because God is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mystery of the, everything we have is a, a work in our life of the mysterious spirit and the light of God light being you know illumination so the idea of mm-hmm. understanding and wisdom all connected there and i think that mystery is important because the other flip side is the danger of always thinking that we can figure it all out right uh and that's one of the things we must be careful not being deceived by mm-hmm. is our own uh that every good gift and every perfect thing that I have in my life came about because of my own intelligence, my own prowess, my own determination. Right. You know, that's the modern world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this idea, which uh, I think it was in Colossians, that gives this impression that everything holds together by this constant mm-hmm. work of God. If, if for a second, mm-hmm. right, He let up, the world would fall apart. Right. There's the mystery. Well, you also see there. Um, the uh, uh, countercharge to those who would say that uh, James has some sort of idea that we're earning our salvation uh, because he speaks of works uh, as strongly as he does. Here is very clear that every good gift, <laughs> our salvation, uh, the, the very will of God, comes down from him. It's not our own achievement uh, that allows us to work these gifts. It's the grace of God poured down from heaven. We have a, a question that's come in from Rob in West Virginia, Father. This says, a friend of mine spoke of this passage as an argument against Sola Scriptura. If all good things come down to us from the Father of lights, then all good teaching, whether directly from Scripture or from sacred tradition, comes to us from God. Your thoughts on that? Well, I do. yeah, I mean, this, uh, to a certain extent, is, is what I'm saying. I, I think that... Uh, I spoke a little bit about the celestial hierarchy that at least is anticipated and the tradition comes out from this this image here, but one of the, the good gifts of God that uh, comes down to us is uh, this illumination that allows us to understand it through uh, the, uh, the grace of the Spirit working through the church. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, think, I think one can make, make an argument here. I mean, there's the danger also of of those that take the passages that say, for example, in First John that you have the anointing, right, and therefore you have no need of a teacher, right. Well, you know, taking that out of the context, both of First John and the rest, gives this idea that that whatever I come up with by reading this Bible came from above. Mm-hmm. It came directly from the Spirit, and, mm-hmm. and the danger of that because. Of course, historically, uh, that starts new denominations every five days in this world. Yeah. What also runs, St. Augustine has a nice line in his little treatise on Christian doctrine, which is a wonderful uh, expression of what the early Christians interpreted the scriptures, how they interpreted them. And he says, if you think that um, you can understand the scriptures just by your own illumination, why are you preaching? 
<laughs> What's the point? It's a good question. Why not just let everyone uh, understand it? Why would we even need preachers in that case? Yeah, the proof of endless commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, endless seminaries, endless professors, uh, endless magazines, on and on and on, it's radio, television programs, all of this is exactly right. Mm. Uh, we need a teacher. The question mm-hmm. is, are we listening to the correct teacher? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this context, also backing up a little bit to verse 5, that if we see that every good thing comes from above, it it connects with uh, James's earlier encouragement to uh, seek from above the wisdom that we need. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's the preeminent gift that he has in mind in this whole context, the gift that we're to ask for and to receive infallibly from, from God when we ask through faith, as he says, uh, is this gift of wisdom, uh, which allows us uh, to see through the difficulties uh, of our current circumstance. Uh, but this this wisdom, which is his gift to his church, infallibly given to his church, um, and so, yes, that is, that is one of these principal charisms, one of these uh, good gifts from above. And he makes that after verse 5, in which James encourages you and I to ask God for the wisdom that we need. He gives generously to us all, it says, uh, without reproaching. If, but in verse 6, we must ask in faith with no doubting. Mm. For if he doubts, he's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. This this need to ask in faith really is a parallel way of saying and recognizing that it comes from God. Right. And really asking in faith means we're trusting in God as the full uh, provider for everything we need. That's mm-hmm. that issue of faith. Right. Um, we can't demand of God. He doesn't, uh, you know, it's not like a, a spoiled child. Mm-hmm. That can uh, do a tantrum on the floor, and and God says, oh, "Okay, here's the wisdom you want." No, yeah. it's it's a complete surrender, and and accepting what God gives us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's trials, right, that He allows to come our way. Mm-hmm. All right, verse eighteen. We'll take another break, and when we come back, let's look at this final verse, Father. Let's see if I can read it correctly this time. <laughs> as we take a break, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined by Father Anthony Giambroni, and you're hearing us on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined tonight by Father Anthony, and uh, we're looking, closing up our discussion of James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Let me read this again in case you're just joining us. Verse 18, I'd like to, Father, to kind of draw our closing 
our discussion, uh, James writes, of this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Yeah, so here we see uh, that uh, that will of God for our own good. The the brought us forth here. This is this is a very interesting word in Greek. Uh, it doesn't appear anywhere else in the scriptures. Uh, it's not the normal word for for birth. There's something very very hmm. peculiar and special about this kind of birth, uh, this uh, divine birth that we have through the word of truth, uh, which in context here uh, has to mean the gospel message. Uh, that came to us, and um, the the image here, of the first fruits, I think, is is particularly nice. Uh, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures, which is to say that uh, a particularly pleasing gift back to the Lord um, uh, that is returned to the Lord for His gifts to us. That's what uh, His Word within our heart, His truth within our heart, does. Is it returns us returns his own gifts back to him in a pleasing way um, and uh, and also foreshadows uh, the full harvest of his creatures uh, coming back to him. Uh, that's, that's something that St. Paul certainly talks about and uh, it appears throughout the New Testament, but this, this image, Christ is, is the first uh, fruits, the firstborn of many brothers, but all of us uh, in his train uh, following back to the Father of Lights. And this verse, when you think about its first hearing, mm-hmm. was in fact being written to that first generation or so, maybe mm-hmm. maybe the children of the first generation, depending on when James is writing, but yeah. some of the original are still around. And so there really is a sense in which they were in a unique place in the big history of the, uh, of the Great Commission. They were the first fruit. Jesus, of course, was the pioneer of our faith, the first, mm-hmm. uh, opened the, the gates of heaven for us. Um, if by faith, uh, and we're following by grace, uh, we will be with, there with him. Uh, but this idea of being one of the first fruits, I mean, that in essence, for them, it carried a great responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still around. There have been lots of further fruit. We do know, though, from John chapter 15, that Jesus was warning his, the same guy, the apostles, disciples, that uh, not everybody produces good fruit. Mm-hmm. Not everybody abides. Not everybody remains. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't abide, he said, though, then you're like the, the limbs of a bad tree that produces bad fruit, and you get caught off and thrown in the fire. Mm-hmm. So it isn't an automatic. That's right. You know, we are called to respond, which is a lot of what James is talking about in the whole letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are first fruit, but it's not like a once saved, always saved guarantee. Mm-hmm. We are to be good fruit. And that becomes the continued challenge for all of us, which I would say probably when I think about the mandate of the Dominicans or what they're all about. I mean, that's kind of what you guys do in your teaching and preaching and modeling it for us as your parishioners is our challenge to live out our calling mm-hmm. as fruits of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, we certainly hope to. <laughs> <laughs> Father, as, as we close this passage, what would you like to to say in reflecting on this to any of our listeners? What what can they take away from this mm-hmm. to, uh, to challenge them to follow their faith more deeply, but also fight the battles that are there in the world in which God has planted them? Well, I think uh, just 
it's a beautiful testament uh, to the uh, goodwill of God for us uh, in all of our difficulties. Uh, it's something that we need to assent to, uh, to meditate upon in faith. Uh, this is something that uh, later spiritual writers um, uh, start to talk about is this trustful surrender to divine providence, but that God has our good in mind. Uh, and when we respond to him in faith, when we respond to that word of truth, uh, then he will, even though uh, the difficulties of our life press upon us, he will lead us uh, to himself. Uh, and that's a kind of consolation, I think, that we can take from this as we deepen our faith uh, in, in his good will for us and in these benefactions he gives. You know, the, 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 uh, the next verses after this, uh, when I think about, okay, living this out, mm-hmm. all right, we've we recognize that everything we have is from God. At the same time, in the midst of this ocean of good, if you want to look at it that way, mm-hmm. there remain temptations, there remain trials. And so obviously part of the background of this are people saying, well, if all of that I have is from God, and yet in the midst of that, there are temptations and there are trials, well then, the, one of the conclusions some people are coming up with is that that's a part of what God's given us. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about, in that context, when we look at trials, tribulations, even temptations, there's a bit of a mystery there, isn't there? I mean, uh, Most certainly. you know, do we, do we just always blame the devil whenever something bad comes, and whenever something good comes, well, that's God. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. that clear-cut, mm-hmm. as we know from the story of Job, mm-hmm. for example. Right. Talk a bit about the, the important place of trials and and uh, in our life and yeah. dealing with temptation. Well, yeah, it is. It is a great mystery, and it stretches from the beginning, from the temptation of Adam and Eve. Uh, you have the testing of Abraham. Uh, you have the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, you have certainly the uh, the trials of Job uh, through the Lord's own life Himself. Um, and uh, and his temptations in the desert, and will pass on until the end of the age. So uh, temptations are, in a certain sense, uh, inherent within the human experience. But um, here we have uh, this notion that uh, it's from from our own desires. And here, uh, this this lust is is a kind of concupiscence. Um, it's uh, it's that which uh, remains in us. It comes from this state of sin that remains in us and uh, leads us towards sin. That's, that's what uh, uh, creates the circumstance that makes that which isn't good alluring to us, um, is because we're no longer governed by our reasons, but our lower passions have uh, uh, subjected reason, uh, enslaved reason, and, and go after these, uh, these, lower, these lower appetites begin to govern us. And it's that it's not it's not the uh, the created world around us, uh, but it's this kind of inversion with our own within our own souls. So the great the great project of uh, of the Christian life, uh, the end of of grace, um, is to uh, untwist that uh, that effect of original sin and uh, and right us so that we are led by our higher appetites towards the higher things. Uh, to the Father of lights above uh, in the heavens rather than the things of earth. And there's there's some stuff in James that uh, I think is particularly Catholic. Mm-hmm. Lots of things 
in there, particularly Catholic, and I learned to appreciate that in my own journey to the church. And you know, we see in verse 17 this, this recognition which should drive us to thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Paul says in his um, fourth chapter of Philippians about uh, you know, doing with everything in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then the peace that passes understanding will be ours. Well, this need for thanksgiving. And so verse 17, we recognize everything comes from God. Mm-hmm. But that has a requirement of us, therefore, since we are, you know, if you're hearing the scriptures, you're hearing the church, and you're understanding and you feel a desire to follow, then the grace has worked on you. And so therefore you are one of those first fruits. We recognize that, but that has a responsibility for us. And given that, if we jump to verse 21, we see him saying, okay, you've received all these blessings, therefore we must be different. We are being tempted, but we must be different. So in verse 21, he says, therefore put away all filthiness, and rank growth of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Mm-hmm. I mean, behind that, Father, don't we see this need to kind of clean out the junk so that there's space mm-hmm. for God to work in us? Mm-hmm. He wants to give us all this good, but sometimes sometimes He can't mm-hmm. because we've grasped onto idols and other things. And so we need to put that aside so there's room for God to work in our lives. That's right. That's right. Um, it is his will, um, but he, he also allows us our own free will. Um, and we have to allow with meekness this implanted word. Um, uh, there, it's, it's inseminated. That's what uh, yields this, uh, this fruit uh, that makes us the first fruits is when we uh, have the kind of docility. That's... This is one of the uh, the essential dispositions that we have that we have to have um, for receiving the revelation of God is docility, which of course is um, uh, the Latin etymology there. It's being teachable, um, which implies that we have a teacher. We have a teacher that gives us this word, and it's our part to receive it with this meekness that uh, allows it to be implanted in us. Uh, and then it says it is able to save our souls. You know, I love his statement in verse 19 uh, yeah, because the opposite is so usually the, usually true. He says, uh, know this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, mm-hmm. slow to anger. Well, in our culture, it's usually the other way around. People mm-hmm. are slow to hear, quick to put their mouth into gear before they've even heard or listened, mm-hmm. and then get angry at the drop of a hat. That's, yeah. Well, and this this is connected, too, to, uh, again, uh, this notion of uh, being taught or being teachers. And uh, in the beginning of chapter 3 there, he has the pretty famous line, let not many of you become teachers, my <laughs> brethren, uh, for you know that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. Um, and because uh, those who teach are, are commissioned in a special way through uh, through the charisms of the church and so forth, uh, James being uh, traditionally the uh, the first bishop of of Jerusalem, um, but that it's not not for anyone to arrogate to himself, just anyone to arrogate to himself this this position to be uh, the teacher, um, because there's a danger in it certainly, but because it also must be received from above. 
makes me think your calling as a Dominican, and we look historically at the Dominicans, uh, which an order whose particular charism was the preachers, that it makes me wonder if this verse 1 of chapter 3 was something that was right up there in front uh, for you as well as your, your brothers as you discern whether you want to dedicate yourself to be uh, a Dominican friar. Well, it, it certainly makes you uh, take pause. The, uh, the classic understanding uh, through the tradition is that uh, the preachers, the friars' preachers, have uh, canonically a, a special share in the ministry of the bishops. Um, when, when we were founded, it was only the bishops who would preach and the friars' preachers. Um, hmm. So there was a very... Um, the, the gravity of the obligation of the apostolic ministry was uh, was entrusted to us. So yeah, it's uh, it impresses upon you the importance. The same mission that Christ gave to his apostolic band uh, is handed on in this way. One thing uh, as we close, Father, that I thought might be good to ask you, because here you are focused so much on Scripture, uh, two degrees in scripture and you're going for a third and which is a unique degree because it enables you to have the qualifications to teach at a Catholic seminary. Uh, one thing that I had heard a lot of before I became a Catholic was that the church had discouraged Catholics from reading the Bible. That was an old mm-hmm. long-standing uh, report on that and uh, from your experience uh, I'm assuming the opposite of course is true. Oh, quite. Yes, and, and it's quite clear, certainly, um, the Church has, has been very open about this. The final chapter in uh, the Vatican document, Vatican, Second Vatican Council's document, Dei Verbum, is all about um, the, uh, the need to advance the understanding of the Scriptures uh, among Catholics, uh, to penetrate it more deeply, to open up the Scriptures uh, in the liturgy and so forth. So, no, the, the mind of the Church is uh, far from closing the Scriptures to people, but trying to uh, dispense the treasures as widely as possible. We don't use the word indulgences very much in the Church anymore, though they're still very much a part of the, of mm-hmm. the Church. The whole book of the Curiodon mm-hmm. of Indulgences that lists all the different ways, which really is a, the way the Church says that there's there's great value to certain things we do. Mm-hmm. We make a pilgrimage where there's spiritual value to that, and they try to, to recognize that there's an effect on our lives as well as the lives of others. But one of the largest levels of indulgences is given to the reading of Scripture. That's right. Which is a, the church's way of telling the laity that if you spend a half an hour of reading Scripture every day, mm-hmm. you, um, I think it's a plenary. Is it a plenary indulgence? Uh, or, or I forget. It's... I, it may be, um, yeah, or partial. I think it might be a partial. Partial. It's a partial. Yeah. Excuse, yeah, me, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, of course, it's a partial. But the point being, for those of you that are not Catholics and wonder what are we talking about, mm-hmm. is that the Church is therefore, in its strongest way, telling Catholics that spending at least a half an hour reading Scripture every day has spiritual benefit for your soul. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, just as it said in that one verse we read by James, where it says that. Um, uh, that the word of truth, that you know that that we should be a kind of first fruit of of his creatures. Well, the word of truth changes us. Later, it talks about saving our soul. You know, this implanted word, receive the meek with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
So there's an encouragement to study, to pray scripture, Lexio Divina. Wasn't mm-hmm. Lexio Divina particularly a Dominican tradition? It, it was. There's there are famous nine ways of prayer of St. Dominic, and that's the eighth way of prayer. Um, and uh, he took the tradition. It, it had grown up in, in the monastic tradition, but it certainly became very important as uh, the Dominicans began to move away from uh, manual labor and towards intellectual label, labor, the place of Lectio Divina became very, very central. All right, Father. Father, as we close the program, I wonder if you could uh, offer a blessing for our audience. Okay. All right. Well, we pray that the Lord would bless all of those listening, that he might open their hearts and minds to understand his word, to penetrate it more deeply, to experience the manifold riches that come down to us from the Father of lights. May Almighty God bless everyone listening, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. And also, uh, you know, God's blessing and speed as you take off in a couple of days for Jerusalem. To Thank you. Complete your, have you been there before? Uh, I was there once, yeah, so I have a little sense what I'm walking into. Okay, but this uh, a cold biblique mm-hmm. is new to you? Uh, I've been there as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, God bless you in that. Thank you for joining us on uh, this episode of Deep in Scripture. I pray that it's been an encouragement to you. I love the book of James. Often, especially we've had a whole year focusing on St. Paul, and, and, and so naturally we, during this last year, focused on his writings, and the other writings took a back seat. But I would encourage you, especially those that aren't Catholics, to, if you haven't, to tick and read the letter of James from cover to cover. You could do it in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a cup of coffee. Um, many Christian traditions, and particularly the one that I came from, which was the more Calvinist Presbyterian, we seem to emphasize everything through the, the, the eyes of how we understood Paul. We even interpreted Jesus through the way we understood Paul, and sometimes we then put a slant or a spin on what Jesus was saying to fit it within how we understood St. Paul. As a result, we often didn't know what to do with James, especially, and Luther didn't have, didn't know exactly what to do with James either. He would, in fact, he even claims he loved to have used some scissors and cut that out of his Bible. But it emphasizes what I believe is a, an important balance and actually a fuller understanding of what it means that we live by faith. And that is that our faith is not merely an intellectual construct, <clears throat> a belief in a creed, a belief in the lists of truths that our faith involves everything that we are and that our lives should match what we believe and as uh, Father Anthony pointed out in the text that he chose our whole life in fact is a gift of God everything we have comes from him even to a certain extent the trials the mystery of that we don't blame God but we recognize that there may be ways in which he's trying to speak to us in the midst of our trials and so therefore with all meekness we are to turn to him fully to receive all that he has to give thank you for joining us god bless see you next week